You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM program reflections uh with your host Zubair Akram and my guest Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad um surah anbiya 21st surah of the quran is what we've been discussing in this reflections program and inshallah uh we will be covering ayah number 6 onwards uh for uh, this part of our program this segment of the program and what we try to cover is uh, this underlying theme and understanding the threads various threads that are in this surah surah anbiya 21st surah let's listen to the recitation and then we will have sheikh rizwan commenting on these ayahs bismillahir rahmanir rahim in the name of allah the entirely merciful the especially merciful ma amanat qablahum min qaryatin ahlaknaha afahum yu'minun not a single city which we destroyed believed before them so will they believe wama arsalna qablaka illa rijalan nuhi إِلَيْهِمْ فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ And we sent not before you, O Muhammad, except men to whom we revealed the message. So ask the people of the message if you do not know. وَمَا جَعَلْنَاهُمْ جَسَدًا لَا يَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامَ وَمَا كَانُوا خَالِدِينَ And we did not make the prophets forms not eating food nor were they immortal on earth thumma sadaqnahum alwa'da fa anjaynahum wa man nasha'u wa ahlakna almusrifin then we fulfilled for them the promise and we saved them and whom we willed and destroyed the transgressors لَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكُمْ كِتَابًا فِيهِ ذِكْرُكُمْ أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ We have certainly sent down to you a book in which is your mention. Then will you not reason? قَلَّهُ الْعَظِيمُ سامین یہ آپ کے سامنے سورہ انبیاء اکیسویں سورت ہے قرآن حکیم کی اس کی چھ تا دس آیات کی تلاوت آپ کے سامنے رکھی گئی میں آیت نمبر پانچ سے آن ورڈز آپ کے سامنے ترجمہ رکھوں گا کہ وہ کہتے ہیں بلکہ یہ پراگندہ خواب ہیں بلکہ یہ اس کی من گھڑت ہے بلکہ یہ شخص شاعر ہے ورنہ یہ لائے کوئی نشانی جس طرح پرانے زمانے کے رسول نشانیوں کے ساتھ بھیجے گئے تھے حالانکہ ان سے پہلے کوئی بستی بھی جسے ہم نے ہلاک کیا ایمان نہ لائی اب کیا یہ ایمان لائیں گے اور اے محمد صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم تم سے پہلے بھی ہم نے انسانوں ہی کو رسول بنا کر بھیجا تھا جن پر ہم وہی کیا کرتے تھے تم لوگ اگر علم نہیں رکھتے تو اہل کتاب سے پوچھ لو ان رسولوں کو ہم نے کوئی ایسا جسم نہیں دیا تھا کہ وہ کھاتے نہ ہوں اور نہ وہ سدا جینے والے تھے پھر دیکھ لو کہ آخر کار ہم نے ان کے ساتھ اپنے وعدے پورے کیے اور انہیں اور جس جس کو ہم نے چاہا بچا لیا اور حد سے گزر جانے والوں کو ہلاک کر دیا صدق اللہ العظیم السلام علیکم شیخ وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ سو ان ریفلیکشنز ٹو ڈے آئی جسٹ وینٹ سٹریٹ انٹو دس ریسٹیشن اف قران اف سورہ انبیاء دی ریزن بینگ دیٹ آئی تھنک اٹ ڈیزروز ا لٹل بٹ مور ٹائم دس ٹوڈے از ا لاٹ دیٹ آئی وڈ لائک ٹو کور وتھ یو انشاءاللہ سو دیز سکس آیاز جسٹ a recap of the first five very quick recap of the first five from my recollection that there is this warning that most people are heedless and there is warning that people do not take heed of the message that is given to people through the messengers by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when they don't there are repercussions and those repercussions uh, are also hidden in the playfulness of people they just still keep doing what they are doing and as a result 
they bring destruction to themselves. And uh, a corollary to that is that they mock the prophet, all prophets, and especially in this context, people who denied the truth, they also ended up mocking Prophet and throwing allegations of uh, that he is nothing but a poet. He is probably possessed. And what he is saying, والسلام, is nothing but um, fiction. That's what I've understood so far. Mm. So I think generally is the, is the, is a summary of what we've, we've kind of talked about, the covering of the first, uh, say, five verses. Um, I decided to, to actually speed up a bit because... Um, because it is not a, a short chapter, it's not an extremely long chapter, but it's it's a medium-sized chapter. But and I, I think there's lots of interesting um, verses that come that require attention probably later on in the month. So I thought we would kind of start to move along. But the basic crux of the initial part of the chapter is essentially to convince and to persuade. Remember, this is um, I said the, the message is very simple that's been given, but the you know this is something that Aristotle, you know, famous um, Greek philosopher, talks about the art of persuasion, the the way of persuading somebody to do something. Um, it requires numerous elements. So if you want to convince somebody to do something or change their behavior, like a child, or a work colleague, or a friend, you, you've got different ways of doing that. You've got recourse to rational statistics, for example, if somebody is you know afflicted by alcoholism for example you can give them statistics on all the effects of alcoholism if somebody's smoking you can show them in fact when they purchase themselves they get a packet which is um i don't know if in pakistan it's the same thing but they have a picture of the the consequences of, of smoking while they're purchasing um so you could apply to reason you can also apply to emotion which is to Look, I'm your friend. I don't want you. To, I, I, you know, I don't want you. I don't want to see you. You die. I don't want to lose you before your time. You know that kind of thing where, you know, the child goes to the father and says, you know, father, stop because I want to. I want you to see me growing up. That's an appeal to emotion. But there's also an appeal to the person bringing the message. So, I'm telling you, I'm your father. I'm telling you, I'm your mother. I'm telling you, I'm your close friend for years. I have no interest myself except for your benefit so what's fascinating is this chapter starts with a very logical um, fact I said it's a khabar it's just a piece of information that everybody's going to be judged in some way in this earth and also logically speaking because justice is never done on earth we imagine that it'll be somewhere else that that justice will be completed and then after that all we have is the response of that which is emotive and it's irrational and it's and it's not essentially, you know, addressing the issue, which is a factual issue. And this brings us to an issue which is quite important, which is that, you know, when you're trying to convince somebody, and the, the Prophet was trying to convince the Quraysh to accept the message and, and, and be saved, um, they weren't interested too much in the facts. They were there to really look for any excuse. Like yesterday we saw that they say, constantly jumping from one proposition to another that he is has muddled up dream sensations that he uh, that he is um he's making it up himself that he is a poet essentially and so they have no rational response to what he's saying so the prophet is essentially going to be presented in front of them not through the rational approach which has been done not even through the emotional approach, which actually will happen here, um, a, a different type of emotional approach, but also it will come from the perspective of who he is, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That who is he? Like, why would you think that he would make up himself? Or why do you think that he would, what interest does he have in this whole thing? Like mm. in terms of kingship, in terms of leadership, in terms of wealth, in terms of prestige, nothing. And as so the Quran, points towards him as a person in, in these in these chapter in, in these verses that come up essentially showing us that he is a human being and 
despite the fact that he's a human being, he has a very special, simple message for people that, that there's no reason to reject. And so the Quran will have this ongoing engagement with the the the, the, the polytheists and the Quraysh and the Kuffar of of um, Arabia on this simple thing of who is the Prophet, what is he coming with, what is he teaching. And so your your summary was perfect because it, it displays, creates this amazing contrast. The Quran is giving a very simple uh, statement, a statement of intent, and the response from the Quraysh, which you'd imagine would be forceful and well thought out, is scattered, confused. They're the people that are confused. They don't know what to respond with. And this is why I said that you know at this point in the seerah, the Quraysh connive and plot to have the Prophet assassinated just as he's about to leave for the hijrah because they realize that he, he they cannot argue with him, they cannot debate him, they cannot uh, unpick what he is saying, they cannot challenge the Quran, even bring a, a chapter like it or a small number of verses like it. And so the only thing that's left is to kill the messenger. This is why you know they always say in English, kill the messenger. The message, you kill the messenger, the message remains. You know, it's irrelevant if you kill the messenger. The message is stark. It will remain with you because the message will be given. The messenger will be a proof of your inability to engage with the message. And so this is a perfect example of where one party is trying to kill the messenger and the messenger is saying, you can't kill the message. What's coming to my mind, I think you stopped thinking what's probably coming to my mind, is, is that the very basis of denying the message is lack of credibility of the Prophet and in their eyes, in the people who are receiving the message, right? So there is... The, the required... No, no, I, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's very far from being a lack of credibility. It's a lack of the the message is too bitter. It's not the credibility. The issue is not the credibility. The Quran will come up with the credibility of the Prophet again and again and again. The issue here is that they are not able. They cannot palate and take this message, which is bitter. the The message is a medicine essentially for them. It's dismantling everything that they, every structure. You know, if you talk about postmodernism, destroying structures, they have structures created which ensure that they are always in power, that they, their might and their wealth continues and their name and their prestige continues. Now, the message is, is coming to dismantle that completely. Think of it. The moment you become Muslim, you're going to stand in a line of prayer with the slave that you've previously beaten and will probably beat after the prayer. How can you beat the person after the prayer when you stand right next to him? Or he might even be the, the person leading the prayer. Mm. Think, think of the, it as a revolution. Think of it. You have to stand behind your slave. Mm-hmm. The equality and uh, the, the status, and that's that's the century. That is, so like, what, what we're saying yeah. is that they they essentially knew who he Salah is, and they were still denying. But w- w- what my question was going to be is that if they're saying you're nothing but a poet, and then the piece of poetry which they perceive as piece of poetry is giving him Allah the credence. So mm-hmm. when the, 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 the first thing is denied, how can that thing which is said by that person can give them credence? Yeah, because you, you're making my point then. <laughs> you're proving my point because essentially if they sing the sha'ir, okay, then you bring sha'ir, like, like his sha'ir, and there'll be you know equal um, one you know against another which is equal in terms of the content. But it's the fact they cannot... You know, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, "In kuntum fi raybi mimma nazalna ala abdina fatu bi surat mimithlihi." You know, if you have any doubt about what we've conveyed to our messenger, then bring the like of it. You know, if you're truthful, فَإِلَّمْ تَفْعَلُوا وَلَنْ تَفْعَلُوا. If you cannot do it, and you will never be able to do it, لن in Arabic, you know, it it means in the future you won't you you won't be able to do it. It doesn't mean never. And you know, in Arabic, as Zamakshir was the only scholar who's really said that لن indicates that bead, which is to the to the to the end of time, it means you will not be have the capacity in the future. Huh. And so the Quran is telling them, look, this message, if it's poetry, bring the like of it. 
you cannot, therefore, you know, you might as well submit. Why are you not submitting? The big P word, pride. Pride is not, there's nothing else that, there's nothing else that stops a person accepting that except their own pride. And this is what we find when we look at, study the life of every single enemy of the Prophet in Sirah, you'll find that the thing that stopped them and they admit it once they become Muslim was pride. Like Khalid bin Walid, when he was going, you know, towards Mecca al-Mukarramah, so he didn't know to accept Islam. He met um, Amr ibn As on the way and he said, there's no point denying this. It's only our, only our pride that has denied the truth of what he says. So I'm going to accept Islam. And Amr ibn As didn't tell him that he was going as well to do that. And he said, okay, I'll come as well. So, you know, at some point they all accepted it wasn't that, that the message was untrue. It was pride. Status, you know, we have status quo. Don't, you know, we have this state saying in English, don't rock the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, keep everything as it is, a steady ship. You know, this is, you know, people in authority will always say, keep it as it is. You can, but sometimes you don't. And sometimes you shouldn't. Because sometimes if there's overt oppression against a, a specific group of people, that status quo, which is stability in which safeguards a degree of normality in life, has more problems associated with, with it than the the negativity which is perpetuated by its names in terms of racism, economic disparities, in terms of gender inequalities, whatever it is, at a certain point is a tipping point. So at a certain point in, 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 in history, there's a tipping point where the balance of whether you can just keep it as status quo or not is challenged. And this is exactly what's happening in history when the Prophet is sent, because at that point, you cannot continue the status quo of, of the status of women, of the status of people that are under, underprivileged and economically deprived, people that are underprivileged and left by the side. You cannot con- continue it. And so the Prophet comes with the, the, the farewell pilgrimage, committing to complete equality between every single human being who has a soul, regardless of where they are, it's where they're from. Say, it's strange you say that. It's strange that people who are probably listening to us on Facebook or uh, otherwise and the preconceived idea of at this juncture in history Islam is nothing but in- inequality Islam is ex- extremities uh, stopping people from enjoying their life stopping people from their way of life which is prevalent everything that is normal is supposed to be supposed not to be done it's a taboo uh, so anything that the, the civilization offers us right now is impeded or discouraged or wronged by Islam. It's, it's a resistance force. And yet you're saying other way around. I'm not saying other way around. I'm saying whatever society is producing, which is a development, society itself questions. I was reading something what a couple of days ago about Facebook and they're trying to open up accounts for young, you know, it was Instagram, I think it was, opening up accounts for young children. And there was a there was a petition of 100 organizations in the UK, you know, you know, basically lobbying against the decision to open this up because of the detrimental effect that we know, not Muslims, this is all uh, NGOs and, and, and children welfare societies and just general organizations that have an interest in this, all saying this is so detrimental that it will destroy. And so... The people that are asked for development and progress are saying, no, children need to be entertained and, and have images that, you know, allow them to enjoy themselves and all the rest of it. Every single development has to go through, as we know, research and development, the vaccines that were created during the during the COVID period had to go through testing. Why? Because you could say, well, it's development. No, there's a, situ- there's a state where one step too much can lead to so many ramifications that we never thought of. Religion is essentially, the religious law is essentially there to allow everything that human minds can come up with. But when we think that there's a reason to dis- to disallow it, we disallow it, or at least we investigate it. Mm. And so proper religion, I mean, thoughtful religion, um, you know, always allows what the human mind comes up with Unless it perverts the human mind, so unless it's unless it's there to pervert natural the natural way of how the human society 
operates and how humans operate as individuals, why we should why should religion have every any kind of um, you know needs to limit? Mm. So those voices that you're talking about, I can imagine that they basically are you know popular voices. I wouldn't understand them to be religious voices in terms of thoughtful religious voices. But of course, look, you always have to be very you know technology. You have to be very very careful how technology goes, nanotechnology. Um, how uh, you know bio biosciences are, are progressing? How nuclear sciences are progressing? You have to be in some way um, cognizant of the fact that these have major, major negative impacts. Like radiography, for example. You know, in the previous century, you know, hundred years ago, it was it was considered to be something that it would kill every disease. Mm. Yes, it would because it would just kill the kill the organism. It would just kill the organism that contained life. And so at a certain point, they realize that this is carcinogenic. This creates, creates cancer. And so religion is, is Islamic law interacts with science, interacts with technology. It doesn't stop it, but it says, look, what's the, what's the purpose of having, you know, getting from A to B in 0 0.0 seconds? Mm, regulated. It's, it's regulated through divine wisdom. Well, a scholar's understanding of what divine wisdom is. Mm. So scholars train the mind, their minds, to be able to think what would the most rational and the most ethical and the most religiously acceptable position be on any question, based on what we know about the Prophet's life, about the, the Quranic message, the general principles of our faith, the ben general universal... Um, you know, principles of our faith which are to protect life, protect religion, protect intellect, protect lineage, protect wealth, protect, you know, person's dignity and honor, these things. Okay, where does where do all these things fit in? You know, so if you take something like Caesarean, you know, if you take something like um um you know any medical issue, organ donation, you take Caesarean section, you take anything, you will say, okay, within the realm of what is important in life according to Islamic law. Is it permissible? Is it not? So you would have a kind of surrogate birth, for example, having a surrogate, another woman carrying the child of a couple. You would say, well, what's more important? Is it is the preservation of lineage and delineating between the parents of a child? Is that more important or is it giving one couple a child? So one couple is a personal choice. The issue of lineage and protecting people's knowledge of their forefathers is a far bigger issue. And so Islamic law would say, look, that's far from, far more important. Mm. And so I don't think enlightened religion ever, you know, stands in the way of that. I think, you know, reactionary religion probably does, but not ever, I would, I would imagine, from my kind of experience of teachers I've had, ever has it been the case that I've felt my teachers been, you know, reactionary in terms of saying, no, you can't do this because haram, haram, let's do a demonstration. No, I've never had any teachers humble like that because of the fact they would Omar, sit down. Omar. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask Faisal to play the ayahs again just to uh, kind of continue with our conversation and giving context to our conversation. Those of you who just joined us, this is Reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad uh, on Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM and also on rr365.co.uk. You can listen to us live uh, on internet um, and Facebook Live. A few ayahs from Surah In the name of Allah, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful. ما آمنت قبلهم من قرية أهلكناها أفهم يؤمنون. Not a single city which we destroyed believed before them, so will they believe? وما أرسلنا قبلك إلا رجالا نوحي إليهم. فاسألوا أهل الذكر إن كنتم لا تعلمون. And we sent not before you, O Muhammad, except men to whom we revealed the message, 
So ask the people of the message if you do not know. And we did not make the prophets forms not eating food, nor were they immortal on earth. Then we fulfilled for them the promise, and we saved them and whom we willed and destroyed the transgressors. We have certainly sent down to you a book in which is your mention. Then will you not reason? Everyone's pharmacy are here to serve you. Do you need free advice for medical needs, vitamin D service, COVID tests for travelers, Urdu and Punjabi staff available. Visit Shawland Pharmacy, 7 Kilmanic Road, Shawlands. Telephone 632-0293. Muhammad, uh, so reflections with Sheikh Razwan Muhammad. Uh, Sheikh, these, uh, just want to focus in this segment, this ayah. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِمْ فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Uh, in fact, there's, there's, there's something about um, the Qur'an that is Sometimes you have to have the context to it In other words, you have to know what's Siyaq and Sibaq, we call it in Arabic Which is what comes before and what's after it mm-hmm. What's the topic, who's being talked about And what's the thrust, what's the khulasa of the discussion You have to know all this But this, this sometimes the Qur'an provides uh, verses that you can take Without even needing any context to them at all which is a general statements, universal general statements. And this is one of them. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَّا قَبْلَكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا إِلَيْهِمْ That we have never sent before you except that those that are sent are humans who have been given revelation. In other words, they have been inspired. Nuhi is from Wahi. Wahi is an inspiration, a divine revelation. So this is a general statement that there's never been and this is going, to be, it's going to be connected to what's previous to this as well. That they're saying, oh, he's, you know, Sallallahu is bringing this out of confused state, dreamlike states, or inventing it, or becoming cognizant of his poetic powerless, and he's speaking it as poetry. No. Essentially, it's saying that he is like the people before him who were inspired, which is that he's a human being. And that in and of itself is going to be a proof, because... Remember, it's as if this, this comes here and it comes elsewhere in the Qur'an that they question why was the person sent to them with a message, a human being? Because the claim of the Quraysh, you know the get-out clause that they had? You know, imagine in a debate that, you know, imagine to, we're, in, we're in political in Scotland, I know in, in, in Wales there's elections happening and um, politicians are having their, um, you know, their kind of um, hustings and all the rest of it. And there's situations where a politician get a politician gets cornered in a way that they, if they tell the truth, their based their political, you know, um, life is destroyed, futures disappeared, and they have a get it clause, which is something that they could bring out that says, okay, this is my defense. And so the Quraysh's defense was that they couldn't accept the Prophet because. Oh, and, you know, after all this arguing and debating, they would say, "Oh, we want an angel," because you know, an angel, you know, ah, it's not, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, you know, you're such a lovely person, but you know, we need an angel. We need something heavenly. We need somebody worthy of us submitting to. Mm-hmm. And so, being a human being, you know, because the Quran here is specific, is actually saying, "Look, the prophets are, are humans." And this will come up in the next verse as well. That you know, وَمَا جَعَلْنَاهُمْ جَسَدًا لَا يَأْكُلُونَ And we've not made them accept that they are bodies that eat food, food. What they eat, 
you know, diamonds, do they eat gold? No, they eat food. So we've not made them except for bodies, flesh and blood, that eat food. And also, And they weren't people that were immortal, that live forever. And so, you know, if you're looking for a heavenly prophet who is by his essence from the unseen, so how can you disbelieve in something that's unseen? That constantly so the, comes so the, the, the dilemma of humanity has always been that they would not accept somebody like them. They would want to have someone who's not like them. But no, it's not the dilemma. The, the dilemma of humanity is dilemma of the people that are obstinate in their in their disbelief of of prophets. Because normal human beings, who, who are simple human beings, you know, just think simply. Nothing to protect, no power structures, no privilege to protect, no, you know, you know, you know the, the, the pathway of their, of their forefathers to protect. They'll say, look, speaks truth. His character or is, is reminds us of, as Imam Dahlawi, Shalul Dahlawi says that the prophets, when they come, they remind us of the heavenly management. They remind us of, not they're not angels, but they remind us of the angels. So they remind us of, a desire in our in our deep in our soul to reach out to something beyond ourselves that is spiritual, that is unearthly, that is unworldly, that is pure. And when we see the prophets in action, their poetry in action, they're not poet poets, but they're they're the way they deal with their friends and enemies, their their problems and their ease inspires us to think that these people cannot accept be sent with inspiration from God. That's what inspires people to follow prophets. There's a small section of humanity that always, and this is always the case, a small section, powerful section, that will always use an excuse not to follow. And that excuse will be, you know, irrational, which is, oh, we just need a, we need, we need an angel and we'll sign on the, on the dotted line. Hmm. It doesn't work like that. You're human. You'll be sent a human. The human will test your ability to go against your nefs and your own ego. And if you can't, that means your ego's in control and not yourself. So it's almost so, yeah, as if the, the generalized opposition points so far in history has been what personal egos, status, um, their uh, kind of status quo, which is um, it changes the dynamics, or is it just the sheer laziness of giving in? Is it any one, or is it all of them, or more? So I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, the Prophet arrived in, in when he went in Hijrah, he went to Medina Nawara. And so when he arrived there, there was people with vested interest. Abdullah Abay ibn Ka'ab, the head of the Munafiqun, who then, you know, after the Battle of Badr, that's when the Munafiqun became very apparent because, you know, up until the Battle of Badr, the Munafiqun weren't Munafiqun because they're openly in opposition. They didn't accept Islam. They said, we don't care what happens. We'll accept you now, but we're not really siding with you too much. The Battle of Badr, the victory meant that they couldn't sit on the fence, they had to accept. And so if they had to accept outwardly, remember their heart's not accepting, so they're munafiq. So inwardly they're plotting. And you also have people like Abu Amir al-Rahib, who was a Christian monk, who wanted to be the, the religious leader of Medina before the Prophet arrived. And he was elderly and he was well-heeled and well-respected. And so as soon as the Prophet came, you know, the idea of, he's taken my place. You know, the place that maybe, you know, decades I've been working to with my advice to people. This is a pious person. So it's not as if we're talking about some politician. We're talking about a rahib, a monk. You know, imagine worshipping, fasting days, not one day, two days, three days, having the respect of people. Then all of a sudden, as a Christian monk, all of a sudden having that taken away, you would imagine a pure soul would say, he's a prophet. I'll follow him. But sometimes the ego is such that, you know, the shaitan just takes you away. And, and, and you know, it's like uh, Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani when he, he spent years and years, you know, perfecting himself. When he returned to Baghdad from Tus, he came from Tus. And he, when, he, when he came to arrived in Baghdad, he realized that there were so many people teaching and preaching and having halaqas and having students that he felt humble and he felt embarrassed coming to the city to also teach. But when he came, he, he sat outside the gate, the gate, the, the doors of the one of the, the old gates of Baghdad. Which Baghdad was, you know, obviously created by the Abbasids. 
And so it had very classical structure of seven gates. And so he sat outside of the gates and somebody came to him from the, sh the shuyukh, the teachers of Baghdad, who had heard that Abdul Qadir Jilani has arrived. And they have, his, his obviously, obviously his, um, his um, fame preceded him. People heard about, had heard about him. And they also heard he's sitting outside the door. Why is he sitting there? And so what they did is they, they got together and they said, we can't allow him in because he'll disrupt the way that we teach and the way that we preach and our students and our interests. And so they sent him a, they didn't want to tell him go away because that's, you know, they wanted to send him a message which was indirect, but only he would understand. So they sent a servant with a glass of water and they, they went to him and said, the glass of water is full. So it was a glass of water and the servant was told, when you present it to Abdul Qadir, make sure, make sure you fill it right to the brim and it's overpouring. And Shubh Qadir Jilani saw it and he, he looked around and he picked up a, a small flower and he put it on top of the water and he said, take it back. His indication was that whatever completeness you think is there, there's still something that can perfect it, which is a flower, beauty. And so when the, the shiuch heard that, they said, okay, let, let him come. And he basically created a revolution, the revolution that he created, you know, created the likes of, you know, the generations he taught created the generations that then Nordin Zengi um, educated and Salahuddin Ayyubi then conscripted into his army that then conquered Jerusalem. So from one person sitting at the gate of a city, having the mind to enter it by putting a flower on top of a glass of water, you have such an effect. But the point is, the shiuch in the city still had this vanity and, and also pride in their own accomplishments that didn't want them... They didn't want him to come in, but he ended up coming in. That that thing's a human thing, so it's not it's not a structure like you know economic structure. It's personality at the at the end of the day. You know, deep down, when you're dealing with somebody, the problem is when he was dealing with people, he always thought that there's a complex personality in front of him. And um, you know, one of the things that's fascinating about the serial prophet, I said, the prophet involved himself in many battles. Um, from what I recollect, only one person was killed by the Prophet in battle. In all the battles you can think of, in, in the battle of Uhud, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, I believe it was. Um, I think, yes, I think it was. He was the only person that was slain by the Prophet by his hand. Despite the fact that the Prophet had hand to hand combat with many, many people in the battles. Mm. And you know the, the reality is the Prophet, even in the state of battle, always saw the possibility of that person turning. Because you, if you recognize, you know, if you recognize that there's something in your enemy or the person that's not from the enemy, I wouldn't consider a person an enemy, but the person who's standing against you, that there's a grain of good in that person that can always be reached only if you try hard enough. That is essentially the prophetic mindset of the Prophet, our Prophet. That he would see the enemy, and you can see this in so many situations. You know the situation of when the Prophet was resting under a tree, and the companions had had fallen asleep, and all of a sudden, one of these, one of the Quraysh had come up, come up in front of him, and with a sword, and said, "Who's going to save you now, Muhammad?" And the Prophet said, "Allah." And the, the sword dropped, and the Prophet had the sword, and the person had no sword. You can imagine, you know, who's going to die? And the Prophet didn't kill him. Mm. The, 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 the purpose is not to destroy your enemy. The purpose is to enlist your enemy. And this is why, you know, in, in the art of war, Sun Tzu, he always talks about the fact that the, the greatest victory is won without fighting. It's the one yeah. where you, you don't engage the army, you don't attack the city, you don't kill the leaders, you don't um, loot the land, but you take the city as it is and therefore you use it. You take the weapons as they are and you use it. You take the warriors as they are and you use them. What's the purpose of defeating an army by killing all the army when that army could be your army? Mm -hmm. And so, so Sheikh, get, getting back to this one here. Sorry, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِمْ فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ. That, yeah, so this, this, yeah, so the second part of that, I don't know if that's the question you're going to ask. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ Ask the people of remembrance or the people of knowledge, and if you do not. If you're not aware or you're, you don't know, this is like a universal statement that we always use. And some people, it's so universal that you don't even know the context from where it comes. Mm. You know, people always say this, فَسْأَلُوا أَحْلَ الذِّكْرِ You know, if somebody, um, 
is doing something and they're doing without knowledge, you say, look, ask people of knowledge if you don't know. It's a general principle in anything. To the point that it's like almost like a kahawat, you know, in Urdu you would say like a, this, the kunfa yakun is also something like that, where it's yeah. used in popular culture, where you say, look, if you don't know how to set up a business, ask people that know how to set up a business. You know, if you don't know how to, you know, diagnose a, a disease, ask people that know how to. This is general, but it means that here specifically, we wanted to specify, it would be ask the, the rabbis and ask the, the Christian um, people of scripture, ask the people of scripture essentially. And this is also important. means scholars. the people who dhikr obviously we know means remembrance of something, but here it means scripture in terms of the people who would know. Okay, if if the Quran is saying that all prophets that came previously were humans, okay, who would know that the people of scriptures? Like if you scan through the scriptures. Every single scripture that you know or heard of, who were who were sent? Not angels, they were human beings. Hmm. And so that is not a defense. The defense is not to say we want an angel. The defense is to say, well, the human be the human is not fit to be a prophet because, for example, tells untruths or sins against God. And that would be a perfect example of a good reason why you wouldn't accept somebody who's a, who said they're a prophet, that they're. You know, they they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk, you know, as we would so, say nowadays. Mm. So people of upright character. Oh. Yeah, generally, I mean, that would be it. But then the Quran also, you know, just underlines the idea of the humanity of them. We've not made them, you know, just bodies that could not or did not consume food. In other words, they were just humans with bodies, fresh flesh and blood that consumed pure bodies. So jasad, you know, we think of it, jasad is something that we have our physical constitution and we have our physical needs, we have our physical impurities that we have within us. You know, prophets still have bodies and they still consume and need to consume to remain as humans. And also they because they are made up of cells and organ and, and, and they're an organism in and of itself. And they were never made to remain perpetual, immortal. And this is what Allah says in the Quran, and also that we have not made before you any prophet that they would remain constant and immortal. No, everybody, every single soul will taste death. And so the Quran just says, look, if, you, if your argument is a human being, move on because they're all humans. They were all humans. The whole point is the message is more important than the person that's bringing it, in terms of the, the in terms of the essence of the person, an angel. Mm. So if it's an angel, you still have to look at the message. Mm. And so if you have nothing against the message, why reduce? Why reject the messenger? Mm. So this this whole debate. I mean, it, it, I was scared to actually open it up, but okay. The the way we grew up is this constant opposition of this subtle idea of uh, that there is a huge debate in within Muslim world um, uh, who is Prophet is he a human is he not Nur Bashar you know that Munazira almost but I, that, that's probably not the scope of our conversation this probably trivializes it uh, Midway of that, yes, I, I, I know what I'm. I don't want to get into that conversation because that's probably a settled conversation. But there is something in between. There, there is the extremities of knowing the, the way we are asked to know the Prophet There seems to be imbalance of how we should know our Prophet uh, I was today in one of the, a, a printing press factory. And there was a big poster of what's shirk and what's tawhid, right? And 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 there is there was um, a picture of me. Yeah, there was Ya Rasulullah, and that was enlisted under shirk. And then there is tawhid, ask Ya Allah, and so on and so forth. All very simplistic kind of ideas. So they're basically caveman caveman theology. This is yeah. this is why I call you know Niyadratul Caveman Theology. 
So in this, there there is there's a, a lay a lay scholar, or if I want to say a lay scholar, and somewhere in the street of Lahore, somewhere in the streets of say Cairo, when people are having this mujadala or munazira, these are the trivial topics that people still fight over. Hmm. Where you're, and these are the ayahs sometimes, sometimes Prophet is nothing but a human being, is no nothing but a human being. And then there is this whole extrapolation of what a human being means and how we are supposed to know our Prophet uh, remains a challenge. What, what's... I, mean, I mean, the Quran always provides you with, it doesn't mention one, but it, it mentions the other as well. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, that we never sent before you except that they're humans. If you put a full stop there, I mean, that post shirt poster is going to need to be distributed. I'll, I'll distribute it as well if you can get it to me. <laughs> if you put the foot stop, if you put the foot, you know, the full stop at that, you know, that point without adding who are given inspirational revelation by God. In other words, what does that mean? Come on. Let's just get real here. That means God's pre-eternal speech being delivered to a human heart. Now, if that doesn't make somebody a recipient of enlightened, lightened light, <laughs> whatever you, you want to, you know, it makes it fall into not just a flesh and blood, but also in light mode, you know, mm-hmm. nothing else can because, the, the, you know, the, you know, if we talk about angels, they're made of light. Scholars talk, angels, they always say, uh, uh, you know, so they always say that, and when they talk about Lawh al Mahfud, they say, hmm. and when they talk about the Qalam, they, so, they say, so the, the words of God are inscribed upon the Lawh al Mahfud, which is a light tablet written with a light pen given to a messenger, which is a, the angel Jibra'il, who, who is a, a light being. And what is it, where does it impact into, in, into the universe, into time and space? It inter, 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 interacts with us at the Prophet Sallallahu And so one aspect is absolutely human. If you deny the fact the Prophet is a human, you've denied a basic tenet of Islam. And it's kufr to deny the Prophet is a human. So if you say he's, a, he's an angel, it's known, it's known in religion as a basic tenet that the Prophet is a human being, flesh and blood. But it's also known that he received revelation. And revelation is, is light. You know, Allah says, That there's come to you from Allah a light and, and, and a, a luminous book. Now, when Imam Alusi mentions, talks about that verse, he says very clearly, there's two things being talked about. There's two things that come to, to you from God. One is a, an enlightened book, a luminous book. And the other thing, which is nur, cannot be the same thing. In Arabic, you don't repeat something without a, a reason. And it mean, means that the, the light is the Prophet who came with it. And so, you know, what's the problem with saying he's he's both human flesh and blood, but also he is a light of guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, there's no problem there at all. And so where this comes out of is that, you know, kind of, you know, I would say yes. This is kind of, you know, pre pre human understanding, very simplistic, um, caveman understanding of theology. That unfortunately, over the last you know couple of centuries, the ummah started to is caveman theology, caveman fiqh, caveman. Everything has just come down to the common denominator, without any understand that Islam had such an amazing civilization that it you know. It developed everything the West is now, you know, built up, built built itself upon, and we've come down to some really crude, basic ideas that you know a child at age of eight or nine can can come up with that poster, and by the age of ten or eleven, will understand it doesn't make any sense. And so, essentially, so I, I, yeah, I, 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 I sit in this factory, right? And this guy, uh, this is my third or fourth meeting with him. Um. And he started opening up. He said, Zubair, yaar, okay, I'll translate, paraphrase in English. He goes, uh, we've met like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and I've spoken to my boss, and we feel that 
inshallah we can work together and da, 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 da. but he uh, we he was fast, i'm fasting i said okay thank lekin ye jo shirk hai na isko chhod do no 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 it's not that he said i'm fasting i'm, I'm fasting i said and he emphasized i'm fasting i said okay he goes my boss was asking that would you be okay if you found out that he actually drinks mm. uh, i said yeah that's between him and his god um i i don't want to comment on this yes i'm dealing with you i found you very upright i found you very onerous uh, in your dealings and uh, i hope you found the same and if you can work together we can work together he goes yeah inshallah and that's what malik sahab thought as well that you know zubair will not mind if he found out i said no no problem he said well i also sometimes do this but this ramadan inshallah i want to give up mm. said, alhamdulillah and then he goes uh, zubair can i tell you something i said what god has never forsaken me whenever i've asked him he's always listened there isn't mm. a dua that he has not heard mm. uh, he goes there were two occasions in my life i was wrongly trapped into a murder mm. manslaughter and i went to this darbar you know i went to data sab and i said sarkar now is the time you got to you know it's it's a test for you and a test for me ask your god ask my god to get me out of this trap and i want your nishani right now and i said okay and he goes half an hour i got a call and people who were after me they had changed their mind and he goes there's another occasion similar occasion i went to another dargah and it is the same i said sarkar now is the time please let me out of the situation and his conviction now what he said will have some people will have problem with mm-hmm. including Because, myself <laughs> so he went somewhere to ask someone and that you extrapolate it to when people have said ask muhammad to ask god mm. and this is why this aya is important for me to understand how do we interact with prophet sallallahu Yeah, I mean that that issue is 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 a is a problematic issue because, um, you know, going to a grave expecting something from the person in the grave, independently of Allah, is is not acceptable. In in the same way, it's not acceptable for you to say that something benefits you in the in the world without the the decree of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So saying, you know, your education got you the the job, it's actually shirk to say that. It is. I mean, it's because you have to say it's a means by which I got the the job, and by the tawfiq of Allah, that's the case. If somebody's passed away, if they're beloved to Allah and they're 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 considered to be a prophet or a wali of Allah, then they have a special status. They have a special connection. Like the Prophet has a very special connection to the point that Ibn Qayyim al Jauziyah himself, a student of Ibn Taymiyyah, said that the the earth that that um, surrounds the prophet's body is the most pure of earth most pure earth in in creation because of the connection with the prophet now if something is so blessed in the eyes of god then it is perfectly acceptable and conceivable that allah will because of its status and its in it and its and its um you know state in the eyes of god in in amongst in allah's um gaze he will love it more and a person that seeks to please god by going to somewhere that god loves will you know inshallah will be accepted in that way as well but we cannot go to a place and say oh you person you know sort this out for me you can say you know that this was a person's past it does not mean they don't do not hear and it's perfectly plausible that a person in that situation could make a dua as well it's nothing improbable about that as well but that's an issue that's disagreed upon but the interesting thing that you said which i thought was interesting is they disclosed what they could do and what their shortcomings were and you know on the basis of that you said okay we can still work together because i think the muslim community is a situation where it says you have to have everything and then we will proceed everything has to be perfect everything has to be clean and and proper whereas the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam if you look at his seerah and especially at the end of his seerah 
because people will say, well, he was lenient and 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 kinder at the beginning, and later on became more strict and more um, made conditions more more strict. You know, one of the last communities he negotiated with in the year of the delegations was Ta'if. Ta'if refused to be Muslim when the Prophet went during this before the Isra and the Mi'raj in the Meccan period. Um, they refused to accept when Mecca was conquested. They, in fact, raised an army with um, Hawazin to fight the Prophet straight after the conquest of Mecca. They almost destroyed the Muslims at that time, the Battle of Hunayn, as you know. And then a year later, they were still in Ta'if, refusing to accept Islam. Every other community, tribe had accepted Islam. They, in fact, even killed, um, it was Urwa ibn, ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, radiallahu anhu. They killed him after he became Muslim, after the, the instance in Hudaybiyah. They killed him when he went back to them to preach. They killed him. When they came to Medina to accept Islam, they, they stayed for seven days debating with the Prophet on what they could do and what they couldn't do. So they said, Oh, you still have to let us drink because we love drink. You have to allow us to fornicate because we go on trade trips and we need to um, fulfill our lusts. And the Prophet said, no, you cannot drink. You cannot commit zina. You cannot. And then they said, oh, we can't pray because, you know, Ta'if is a bit colder and our backs hurt. <laughs> and, oh, wudu is so cold in Ta'if. You know Ta'if is elevated and it does get cold. You know, it's too cold for our bones. The Prophet said, there's no good in a person who doesn't pray. One thing after another, after another, the Prophet said, no, no. And then at the end they said, okay, we, we, we cannot pay zakat. And the Prophet said, okay. And they said, oh, we can't do jihad. And the Prophet said, oh, Prophet said, okay. He realized that he had argued and debated with them for so many days that these last things, they were ready to move and go away. So he said, okay. And the companion said, Ya Rasulullah, you've, 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 you've separated the two things that are inseparable, the prayer and, and zakat. And he says, they will pay zakat and they will do jihad. Because once they do the other things, which is prostrate to Allah, then they'll see poor people who they have the right to help and take care of, they will pay zakat. And when they see people being downtrodden and they worship the one that is just, they will fight for justice. And so... You know, there's always, this is what I was talking about when the Prophet engaged in battle. He never killed the person who he was in battle with unless it was an absolute necessity. And there's only one situation in his life where that, that was the case because he saw the possibility of greatness in, in the people in front of him. And the Muslim mind today, I believe, as I've seen it in organizations and movements and, you know, bodies is that's not the case. If the person is an enemy, he's an enemy and he needs to be thrown into hell quickly, fast. Fast, pronto. Pronto and also slandered and, and, and beyond the call of what is required. So that idea of diplomacy, the idea of, of you know, the prophetic mindset is dis has disappeared. And people, do you know what they say? They say this is a, a, a proof of our love and our, and our practice of Islam. This is how this is to prove that I'm really Muslim. I'm you know doing everything by the book. You know, and they show the book and say, look, I'm doing all these things. Mm. Well, your Prophet, I think he knew more than you did about how to convey Islam to people. And so, we have his seerah. <laughs> you know, it's not as if we don't have his seerah, we have his seerah. So you've got a big problem because that is a proof against you, not a proof for you. Surah Anbiya, uh, ayahs 6, 7, 8, and 9 uh, is the context of this conversation uh, with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. Uh, reflections, uh, Radio Ramadan 87.7. Um, also, our website, rr365.co.uk. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ قَبْلَكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِمْ فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ وَمَا جَعَلْنَاهُمْ جَسَدًا لَا يَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامَ وَمَا كَانُوا خَالِدِينَ And moving on to the next one as well, Sheikh. Um, especially this one here. وَمَا جَعَلْنَاهَا جَسَدًا لَا يَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامَ وَمَا كَانُوا So they eat. Uh, so they are like us. Like human beings. And there is a name of Prophet Sallam, Tahir. Who mm. is pure. Yes, yeah, so the Prophet Sallam is... is Pure because jasad, you know, when we talk about jasad, we, we think of body, 
We think of flesh, we think of blood. That's immediately what we think about. And so when we think of flesh and blood, we also think about impurities. We think of body odors. We think of um, everything that we would consider to be repugnant of a nature, which means that this is why you know the, the Quraysh would say we want an angel because we don't want the associated um, stench of what's associated with human beings. We want something pure. We want something... You know, that's perfumed. And what's fascinating with the Prophet, this is by Dawatur. This is almost by a multiple narrative from the people that were around him is that he, وسلم, his body was pure in terms of what came out of it. This is almost like an ijma. I'm not sure of any scholar that I've ever come to read about who's denied the ijma on this, unless that poster you have. Um, <laughs> You can pass me the reference of the person that wrote it, and no doubt would would break the ijma' there. Hmm. But there's a there's a general ijma' from Ibn Taymiyyah, from Ibn Qayyim, Ibn Hajar. You've got Ibn Hazm. They they've 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 conveyed a consensus, a not majority consensus. It's a consensus, no parting of this that the Prophet was pure, and it comes from you know hadith like the hadith of Um Sulaim radiAllahu anha. Um, who is the who was the aunt of the Prophet through Rida, um, through suckling, who lived in Madinat al-Nawara, and the Prophet used to have a habit of 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 staying in her house, in the house of Abu Talha, um, for his qaylula, which is his afternoon, which is that she was the mother of Anas ibn Malik radiAllahu an, and she used to stay in the afternoon to have his qaylula sometimes because it was further out from the center. And when he used to wake up, he used to wake up and do wudu. And what Umm Salim used to do was she would get a small bottle or a canister that she used to have. And she used to scrape up from the leather um, bedding that the Prophet was sleeping upon. He, she would scrape up the, the perspiration of the Prophet And so when the Prophet came back and he caught her once doing that, and she, he said, Mada what are you doing? She says, Nada'ufi, nada'uhu. She said that we, we take it and we what we do is we place it within our perfumes and our essential oils, but it's purer and more, and more scented than the scent within which we put it. So right away, what was that? It was this idea that the, Prophet, the, the perspiration of the Prophet was pure. It was also scented. This is why when the Prophet used to um, walk in the city of Medina Nawara. You know the very, you know we don't see it now in Medina Nawara. Any old city you'll know is very, you know, tight in terms of the streets. Sometimes you can barely get two people past. They could tell where the Prophet had gone and been by the scent that remained within the streets of the city of the Prophet nice. And so imagine you could you could walk in the morning, and you could follow your way to the mosque by just following the the the, the scent of the Prophet to the mosque. And so this is one aspect of it, just the fact that his perspiration was pure. But also, you know, scholars have also mentioned in numerous hadith that are related from the companions. One of the earliest of those is from the first um, child that was born in Madinat Nawara, which, which was, um, it was Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Zubair, from, you know, the, the son of Zubair ibn Awam, radiallahu anhu. He was the firstborn. Um, who's the son of uh, Asma bint Abi Bakr, anhu, the daughter of Abu Bakr, obviously. The Prophet you, you took very intense care of him. And he, you know, one day he 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 was cupped. He was, he was, you know, cupping involves the blood being taken. And the Prophet said to him, Ghibhu, you know, take it away and, and, and bury it somewhere or discard it. And it said that he drank it. Mm. Uh, and the Prophet asked said, what did you do with it? And he said, he didn't re respond. And the Prophet said, شربته, or words to that effect, I can't remember the exact, I, I think it's, it's, it's as if you've drank it. In other words, have you drank it? That's what the import is in Arabic. And he said, then the Prophet said, May you be protected from people and may people be protected from you. And this is a very strange hadith. You know, he is drunk. What is the remnants of cupping, which is blood? Um, and scholars said he didn't rebuke Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As for the simple reason that it was pure. 
but he didn't want to set the precedence by telling him to drink it because that would be asking somebody to do some something that was known culturally to be um you know repugnant or something that's not done and so the person you know made a dua for him of a type which is a warning and a dua because it was basically saying you know we know the story of abdullah ibn, abdullah ibn zubair if you know your history you'll know who he is he he raised, he raised a, a, a you know a challenge against the umayyads he he became a khalifa for a period in absentia and then he became claimant to Khilafah in Mecca al-Mukarramah and Hajjad bin Yusuf then bombarded Mecca al-Mukarramah and he refused to, you know, refused to um, relinquish the city and just when he was about to die he asked his mother Asma bint Abi Bakr who was at that point blind what should I do? and Asma at that point gave one of the most important and historical khutbahs in the history of Islamic history you know, it's worth people reading it Asma bint Abi Bakr she basically said how dare you do anything except fight? You know, are you not my son? And who am I? So she basically sent him back out and said, if you started it, you finish it. Mm. And it said that, you know, that courage was as a result of that drinking. A little reminder from uh, one of the reflections from Sheikh, that heedlessness is a disease. And one of the cures is sending durood on Prophet Sallallahu Tahir, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Assalamu alaikum. Inshallah, we'll be back tomorrow, half past seven.